0: The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers.
1: Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio on 90.1 FM, KKFI. Kansas City Community Radio. It's Monday morning. My name is Terry. Today, host Melvin Merritt will speak with his guest, Rosalind Temple, founder of KC Mothers in Charge. Casey Mothers in Charge cares for Kansas City families who have lost a loved one to homicide, providing victim and family services, education, and advocacy. Roslyn Temple will explain the Casey Mothers in Charge key focus areas such as trauma-informed crisis care and support groups for victims of shootings and homicide. The group also works with offenders in efforts to prevent recidivism. An upcoming event is Pee Wee's Walk on Saturday, April 29th. hashtag Pee Walk. For the second half of our hour, Host Keith Brownell was inspired by recent celebrations of St. Patrick's Day to compile his thoughts on racism, which affects persons of all colors and winds like a thread throughout most, if not all, of human societies. Why do we have to feel superior to others? Is that the only way we can feel good about ourselves? And don't we feel bad about ourselves if we feel superior to others? We bring you vital information, underserved or ignored by mainstream media. If you share our mission, it's time for the KKFI Band Auction. And the links are available at our KKFI website, kkfi.org, from now until it ends at near midnight on Friday, March 24th. This is a great opportunity to better one of your parties. Make it a special event with live music. If you've never been to a KKFI band auction, please don't miss this year. Local musicians are showing support for KKFI so that you can show support. On Jaws of Justice, we examine how to find justice in our society. Justice will not be served until those who are unaffected are as outraged as those who are. Now, our show.
2: Good morning, Kansas City. Welcome to Charles of Justice right here on, commu- on your community radio station, KKFI 90.1 FM on your dial. I am your host, Melvin Merritt. Most people in Kansas City area have heard of mothers in charge. The story of one mother on a November night in Kansas City, a concerned single mother stood afraid and alone on a dark street. She had been trying to contact her son, Antonio Pee Wee Thompson, all day and to no avail, so she drove to the apartment complex where he had recently moved. She knocked but received no answer. She asked maintenance to let her in, but they could not, so she called 911 and waited. When the first responders emerged from his apartment, her worst fears were confirmed. Pee Wee was gone. Her son had been murdered on Thanksgiving Eve, 2011. Over a six-hour period, Rosalind Temple remained at the scene, wondering about the police and the fire department personnel who had been dispatched. What is happening? What are they doing, she asked. I couldn't believe that there was no community liaison for me, Temple said. I knew there had to be a better way to support victims' families. So she created one. In early 2012, Temple learned about Mothers in Charge, Incorporated, founded in Philadelphia by Dorothy Johnson Sprate, PhD, who lost her son through homicide in 2003. Johnson Sprate led her through the process of building a Kansas City chapter in 2013. Temple launched Kansas City Mothers in Charge as a program of Kansas City Ad Hoc Group Against Crime later the organization received funding from the Kansas City Missouri Police Department to move into its own office space and expand its program and services Kansas City Mothers in Charge was incorporated in Missouri later that year and in 2015 granted a 501c3 federal tax exempt state state status and uh, at this time, I'm going to take the moment and welcome uh, Miss Rosalind Temple to the broadcast. Welcome to Jaws of Justice, Miss Temple. Can I call you, Rosalind?
3: Yes, you can. Thank you for having me.
2: I'm glad you're here. And uh, take us back at that moment and on that cold night in November um, on uh, Thanksgiving Eve when you discovered or found out that your son had been murdered. What was that feeling like? And Mothers in charge had not even was not birthed yet.
3: Well, you know, um, my 26 year old son, I had been trying to reach him because um, he had bought all my Thanksgiving food for Thanksgiving a year, but he was going to cook his own in his, his new apartment with his friends. Um, so I tried to reach myself. I got for work. Had been calling his phone prior to that, no answer. You know, your kids would slide you to voicemail, but they normally call you back. I didn't get that. So when I got for of work, I went down to his apartment, and I tried to get in, and finally, when I did, didn't get inside his apartment, beside the building. Um, couldn't get no response from, you know, the maintenance couldn't let me in, I understood that. So I dialed 911. And when the police department came, they sent a the sergeant out that year. And I told the sergeant everything that I was going on in my mind, what was going on, you know, I've been trying to get in touch with my son. Um, so, and he, he told me that, he called the maintenance, they told them the same thing, they couldn't let them in. So I looked, I said, I can't leave this building until I know where my child is at. Mm-hmm. Um, so he told me they was gonna go ahead and do an early welfare check. And they, he said, once he called the fire department, come out to kick in the door, I would have staff stay, out, stay out, of the, out of the building. And the fire department came pretty quick. I remember standing there, it was a cold, crisp night, just standing there, it was like time had stopped.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But when that sergeant walked up that building and he told me my son was in there being been murdered, I just felt to the ground, I couldn't breathe as a mother. Um, I didn't know what to do, um, you know. When I got my breath, I told, Lord, I trust you. And I said, no weapons formed against me shall prosper. And I knew God was an act of, that wasn't the act of God, but God knows all he saw. all. So I stood there, it wasn't no one out there to walk me through the process. Police department came out and wrote the department out, and I wanted them to give me the best investigation they got. Cause one thing, I knew that the police department didn't kill my child. I knew it was one of us. Mm-hmm. So I stood there and waited and waited. And after so many hours, all my family and friends came out, but after so many hours standing there, um, I looked around. Everybody had went back to what's normal, but people were still there with me it Was the police department, the media, and my youngest son. I couldn't leave until they brought my baby out of there. And I needed someone to walk me through the process. So I knew i to do something different in my community. So I took a stand after I buried my son December 3, 2011
2: and uh, we know that that's the human side of your story and and so many people can identify with that 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 uh your experience and and we want to get into also mothers in charge mission and and i noticed that your mission is to try to prevent so many uh murders that's taking place here in Kansas City and across our country and, and sadly to say, most of it is in, in uh, black communities. And that's that is happening. And uh, your mission is to possibly reduce the violence through uh, prevention. And how do you go about that? This, this and uh, and then really finding out what we're hearing across the the media uh, that there are. Many, many murders taking place week in and week out seem like and to the point where Kansas City is seeming to get numb over it. However, it doesn't take away the pain of the individual families that is affected by it. But your mission or your prevention purpose is to do what?
3: To prevent someone, another mother, father, grandmother being prepared Victim of homicide, losing a child, um, and what I do is I'm out in the community. Every time it's a homicide, I'm there at the scenes. I'm first responder with the Kansas Police Department mm-hmm. to be there when a family don't even know they're loved when their child has been murdered. But when they when they do, I'm there to be that liaison between the police department and the families to make sure everyone is noticed at the scene. Because a lot of times they can't even tell you if it's your child. But a lot of times the families already know before the police department know. But to educate this community, because homicide is a learned and taught behavior in the home.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. It's a lot of different angles that we don't see that is taught in the homes. When we say what goes on my house stays in my house. When we know our children, our loved ones are committing violent crimes in our community. You know, no one is exempt from homicide in this community. No one. Mm -hmm. We are killing each other at a fast rate by the hands of each other. And black on black, yes. We stand today at 34 homicides. Last year, this time, 32. We went out last year with 169 homicides. The year before, 157. The year before, 176. If we don't take a stand and say we have had enough, we're going to keep on losing our children, our loved ones. We got the t- guns, the problem, yes. But the problem is the people getting the hands of the guns that's taking each other's lives, you know. We got to vote. We got to vote for inner city. Uh, audience, things that's going on, because when we don't vote, we lose a lot of things. We got to step up, but we can't wait to presidential time to vote. Every time we have a vote in our community, get out and vote, because we're losing something, but we got to do something with this violence.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, You alluded to the fact that
2: that it's possibly a learned behavior, and we've noticed, you know, so many kids are having kids, and uh, and a lot of those practices and guns uh, are shown to other younger kids uh, within the home. And how are you uh, addressing this? You know, especially because of the fact that it's not the kids, but it's the parents of the kids, which nine times out of ten are kids themselves. So how do you go about? And I know that you comfort the parents when you know at the scene and. Let them know what exactly was happening and and how they can you know be strengthened at that t- at that term knowing time knowing that uh, they're not alone. You're standing on on side of them. But how do you go into that home to possibly prevent by educating in some kind of way?
3: I tell a family, I tell a mother um, that you know this is not nothing that you actually have caused. For someone to take your child's life, um, whatever your child was doing, who he was connected to, is very important to get the information to the police department because they don't make that it don't matter whatever your ch- child was doing. No one should have took their life, but in the process of that, what were they doing? At this time, your child is a victim. Police is not investigating your child; they want to investigate the person that took their life. So, tell what's going on. Stop holding secrets and stuff. Stop trying to take it on your own hands because. We do a retaliation, we keep on going on and on, losing our life. Kansas City is a small community, really. Everybody knows somebody that knows somebody. Mm-hmm.
2: That's, that's true. Um, and moving right along, uh, you talk about uh, trauma informed crisis care and uh, at the homicide scene, right at the scene. Well, tell us a little bit about that. What is all that about?
3: You know, I'm at the scenes with families. We see a lot of trauma. You know, a lot of you know, our, our, we we talking our anger at the wrong people at the police department. We're cussing them out. You know, and that's a lot of trauma. You know, we in our inner city, we hear gunshots every day. I live in the inner city. It's like we live in a war zone. It is not okay to hear gunshots and think we're not going to be traumatized with PTSD or get used to it. It's no way you should get used to um, gun because bullets, bullets have to go up, they got to come down. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, if they don't come down, but at the point when somebody target or point a gun at someone, someone mm-hmm. is killed with that bullet. So I go in the home. I I just tell them that we have to do something better in our communities. Stop thinking that you are a snitch. No, you a witness. When you witness someone being killed, you have witnessed someone taking a human life speak up and speak out stop going to your house when you come home someone's child someone body is laying down in, in the middle of your street and you say it's not none of my business i don't care i just want to go home well you should care mm-hmm. you should stand an eye for someone's child because they live in our community they went to school here they they shop here you know we have to start caring about what's going on in our neighborhoods when it's a homicide in the neighborhood, you see all this police cars, all these lights. Come out your homes. Invest in who that was. Speak up. Try to work with the police department. Stop to working against them. We got to do better.
2: And, and that's true. On the other side of that coin, we talk about, uh, you know, when, especially when people are afraid that if they say something, you know, that there's going to be some retaliation. You know, the person that finds out that did the shooting. Is going to come back and maybe shoot through their house, and so they are afraid to even, you know, say something. So, what would you, how would you address that, you know, with people having fear of retaliation if they spoke up, especially if the perpetrator know that they know.
3: Well, you got to turn that fear around. You got to reprogram your mind because the fear is that long as they're in our community, long as they're around you. They will do it again. Hmm. So we got to get them out of the community. It's more good people than bad people. Sure. So if we turn that fear around and, and turn them in and get them out the community, because if you don't, they're going to keep on murdering and yeah. killing over and over.
2: And, and it's, I don't want to be the devil's advocate in this, and it just seems like it's just happening over and over again. And it seems like uh, for some reason or another, is that uh... people within the community is not getting this message or how important it is that for us to personally get involved especially when it happens right two or three doors or houses down from you this is when actually that people should start opening their eyes rather than closing it saying i don't want to get involved because i want to protect my family i don't want that you know, those bullets to come through my house. Usually that's the mindset of most individuals in, in a community where the murder has taken place. And so how do you go about, you know, getting this pop, this message out, you know, how important it is to make, you know, to cease these types of behaviors, you know, because it's a deviant behavior, you know, within the community.
3: You know, I I didn't think it was going to happen to me, born and raised in Kansas City all my life, but it did. So when it happened to me, I did something. I'm stepping out. We got to do something. It's not going to stop until we address it, until we stop it. People of color, black people, I am a black woman, and if I can come out and stand any time, day or night, and speak out, I fear no one but God himself. Hmm. Because the worst thing happened to me, I lost my son. So if I can speak out and do something in, this, in my community, and make a difference, to try to save a life, if I can save one life, that's a lot. That is.
2: And, and, and you talk about uh, Survivors uh, Will Heal support. What type of support is it that you uh, give to the uh, victims, uh, not the victims, but the, fa- the victim's family?
3: My first program I, I launched, uh, Survivors Will Heal. I mean, not survivors, with hope and healing, I'm sorry. Hope and healing, that's my grief. That's my homicide program because mm-hmm. we got hope that we can heal and live through it. Here I stand. I'm living through it, and I'm healing. Even trauma, trauma is a, it's, it's, you can heal through trauma. So the hope and healing is every third Thursday of the month. We call over 300, 400 families weekly, my volunteers. We check on families because we understand we're still in the process of walking through this healing process. So when we do a Hope and Healing, we come out every third, Thursday of the month. Um, doors open at 4.30 to 7. We bring out a speaker every other month, a speaker that walks us through, the, that was a part of the process when it happened. But family, we come together. We're part of a club that we didn't ask to join. So this club, we cry, we talk, we journal, we heal. We also have counseling. KC Mother's in charge, we pay for five session of counseling, grief counseling. We have one of the best counselors in this town. Dr. Donald Lane, he he's our grief counselor. So we counsel. We pay for a five session of counseling, one hour counsel. If you like counseling, stand up for it, because we will pay for it.
2: And you know, and and I was sitting here thinking about what you what you're saying, and uh, and it, and it, it it is necessary to start somewhere. And you you have picked up the baton, so to speak, and and have run ran with it and literally or doing something about it you know because what if you didn't do that you know with this thing we wouldn't have probably some of the programs that you guys has implemented in within your program and one of them is their outreach and education tell us a little bit about that
3: now we go outreach and we go door to doors we're knock on doors we speak to people in our in the neighborhoods Let them know we care and that's it we call that um let them know we care, and we ask them, how can we help them with the violence in their community? We're not coming to tell you what to do. How can we help you? You only know about the violence in your neighborhood. So then we'll do, um, we'll lunch, we'll do like a block party. we make sure every neighbor from the three blocks radius know each other. And then we do canvassing in the community. We stand on on the corners, and we, we we'd talk, we show the, we say, We care no more violence. We speak out about how many homicides there are, about the violence in our community. We're
2: winding down, and I haven't gotten into a lot of your uh, uh, work that you do within your program, Mother's in Charge. Give someone your uh, phone number or contact information, website, uh, just in case because we're running out of time.
3: We're at 3200 Wayne, the mohart Lewis Mountain Purpose Center. Our office number is 816 912 2601. Our website is KC Mothers, Mothers with no org. <laughs> Look at our website and tell us what you think.
2: <laughs> right. So that way, a person that it might be interested in maybe even doing some volunteer work with you. And uh, that they can get in touch with you, and say that number just in case they was running to grab a pencil or okay. pen, and they didn't get it.
3: Eight one six nine one two two six zero one.
2: And the website?
3: It's KC Mothers In Charge MothersWithAnSNoPalsy dot org.
2: All right. So they already have gotten it by now. You know, if they haven't, I'm sure this. Some way or another, they can record that. And we're right down to about three minutes. And one of the other quick questions you have what they call an in home visit support. And tell us a little bit about that before we uh, close out.
3: When a homicide occurs, we do house home visits. We go into the homes, we we bring a hot meal, toiletries, and we walk the family through the process. Also, I'm the liaison at the table at the funeral homes to help the families when they're grieving, the funeral directors doing their work, make sure everybody understands when it's all over. So we call them home visits. Oh,
2: okay. So you covers the whole the whole gamut so to speak yes. you know right on down to the funeral and i, I commend you for that no yes. wonder the, the federal bureau of investigation gave you an award and I, I commend you with that one too and i understand that you even went to washington to receive that is that true yes i did oh, I, I commend you and all your efforts and you guys are doing a fantastic job keep up the good work i uh, envy you all that all the stuff that you have on your plate and I want to say thank you for being my guest here on Charles of Justice right here on KKFI 90.1 FM and I want you to go out and have a great great day and keep up the good work and definitely get yourself some rest.
3: Thank you so for having me.
2: Support for KKFI by City Year Kansas City. As an education equity nonprofit, City Year works inside Kansas City Public
0: Schools, supporting students emotionally and academically so that they can thrive inside and outside of the classroom. To learn more about City Year's service and open positions, visit CityYear.org.
4: Do you have a summer gathering event where you'd like to have live music while at the same time help your community radio station? The band auction returns on March 25th and 26th from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., and KKFI will be auctioning off performances of some of Kansas City's finest local artists. This includes Jazz, Jason Vivone, and the Billy Bats, Kristen and Lucy Hamilton, and Crystal Rose. You can bid online ahead of time beginning on March 20th. Go to kkfi.org or follow us on social media for more details.
1: Now the calendar for the week of March 20th. The Kansas City Chapter of Missouri Citizens United for the Rehabilitation of Errants has a monthly virtual meeting. Missouri Cure advocates for the human rights of prisoners in Missouri prisons and jails, as well as for those who have returned to society. For information, call Keith Brownill at 816-377-2873. You can find Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense events at momsdemandaction.org. These are open to all mothers and others. The League of Women Voters is holding online candidate forums for the upcoming elections. You can simply Google League of Women Voters KC for information. Tuesday, March 21st, 5.30 p.m., Cancelled, Censored, Banned is an event at the National World War One Museum Two Memorial Drive, Kansas City, Missouri. You can join for this public event co-hosted by Kansas City PBS and American Public Square to explore attitudes and beliefs about cancel culture. Please register soon, attend in person or virtually. Go to AmericanPublicSquare.org. Thursday, March 23rd at 6 p.m., How Not to Kill Yourself, a portrait of a suicidal mind with Clancy Martin is an in-person event at the Plaza Branch of the Kansas City Public Library. This will be in the Truman Forum Auditorium. University of Missouri Kansas City professor and author Clancy Martin joins Angela Elam, former producer and host of Public Radio's New Letters on the Air, in a discussion of his new book, RSVP at www.kclibrary.org. A list of services, meals, and hotlines are available at lawrenceprogressivecalendar.blogspot.com. That list is updated daily. These events and more can be found on the show episode page at kkfi.org, as well as on our Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. Thanks to all our listeners. Stay close to your dial and stay well. We now return to our program.
5: The St. Patrick's Day parade this year in Kansas City was a glaring example of what the future for African-Americans will look like if we let far-right racist politicians get away with banning critical race theory from being taught in our public schools. This year, the St. Patrick's Day celebration looked like it had more black people marching in this parade than whites. These black people were probably unaware that St. Patrick's Day is really a celebration of white people's conquest over blacks who once ruled in Ireland. So today, on the second half of our show, Terry Wilkie and I will be discussing the meaning of St. Patrick's Day and the relationship that the Irish have had with African Americans and other black people. My name is Keith brown Eel. Welcome to Jaws of Justice Radio. Attention. Attention. This is a message in a bottle to the men and women who are lost at sea. You are listening to ninety point one FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. My name is Keith Brown Eel, and this is the program we call Jones of Justice Radio. 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 In understanding the meaning of Saint Patrick's Day, the first thing you have to do is deal with the myth about Saint Patrick driving the snakes out of Ireland. Real snakes did not exist in Ireland and could not have survived back in those days because it was too cold. So there were no snakes for St. Patrick to drive out. The snakes that were being referred to in this tale were actually real people. Those people were known as the Druids. They were black and they were ruling in Ireland during the fifth century. This was at a time when the word Africa or any other adjective describing black people had not yet come into existence. Some people will try to tell you that black people did not exist in Ireland until the 18th century, but this is also a myth. It is another example of white people doing what they have always did, trying to write black people out of important parts of history and then taking credit for what black people have done. The Duritz were members of the high-ranking class in ancient cultures. They were religious leaders as well as legal authorities, adjudicators, law keepers, as in L-O-R-E, medical professionals, and political advisors. This man, Maywin Sukat, who later became known as St. Patrick, was not even from Ireland. He was British, and he came to Ireland to spread Catholicism. But the Duritz already had their own religion, and what St. Patrick came there to do was not welcomed. So war broke out. I don't recall if history makes any specific mention of actual war. But you can't just come in somebody else's country and try to expel them. They are going to fight back and war meant that hundreds and maybe thousands of people were slaughtered. In this case, they were black people. Now how do we know that the Duritz were black? Because they had a doctrine that prevented their knowledge from being recorded in written form. Nobody else anywhere in the world adhered to that doctrine except black people. And some people still do it in Africa right to this day. Another reason we know that the durrids were black is because history is devoid of any reliable account of their racial identity. I suspect that this is more than just a coincidence. Some white historians have tried to claim that the durrids were white, but I don't consider those accounts to be reliable. When white people come across black people who are too significant to be written out of history entirely, they simply try to alter our ancestry. This is why, to this very day, they still won't even admit that Jesus was black, despite the fact that Jesus was described as being black in their own Bible. Mm. But I don't think that St. Patrick was a racist. Racism as we know it today probably didn't even exist back then. If someone had a dispute with other parties, it was most likely because of something other than race. But if race was not a factor in a war that happened back in those days, why is it, you may ask, should it be a factor now? The answer is this, my friends. Racism may not have mattered back in those days, but it definitely matters now. Race plays a part in nearly everything everybody does in the world today. And if you are a member of a race that is disadvantaged, this is a fact of life you cannot afford to ignore. When people don't know their own history, they are deprived of that important part of knowledge. Then they become vulnerable to all kinds of false alien customs, rituals and teachings. Not only do you become the laughing stock of the entire world, but you can easily be brainwashed into having no love or regard for your own kind, or caring more about others than you care for yourself. Black people in America have already been through one period like this in our history. Now the foundation is being laid for us to have to go through this once again with attempts to ban the teaching of critical race theory. When I looked at those black kids who were marching so proudly in that parade the other day, to help commemorate something which was intended to celebrate the destruction of their own ancestors. It made my heart sink. I just shook my head and said to myself, there goes another entire generation of black youth about to become lost. My name is Keith Browneal. Thank you for listening. Okay. uh, I'd like to thank you, Terry, for having me on today. And... I think one of the first things I want to talk about is that before arriving to America, the Irish didn't seem to have a problem with black people. But after they took up residence here in this country, many of them bought into America's racist ideals, and they even supported slavery and the the institution of Jim Crowism. Uh, Another thing that concerns me is that The Irish people have always been big on joining the police force, the courts, and the prosecutors' offices. These three entities are substantial contributors to the mass incarceration epidemic that substantially and disproportionately affects black people. In the 1940s, there was only a handful of Irish policemen By the end of the year, they made up one quarter of the police in New York. By the end of the century, they made up more than 75 percent. Now, I don't know what the numbers are today, but I suspect that if they are similar or the same, that Irish people on the police force are substantial contributors to the black homicides that are being committed by the police. But the thing that really concerns me the most is that if our lack of knowledge about what St. Patrick's Day really stands for, what, how else can, can we see what we are, or fail to see what we are contributing to? And what will we do when this idea about banning critical race theory goes into effect? St. Patrick's Day is one of the biggest contributors uh, and has one of the biggest celebrations that go on in in the country. Can you imagine how much money that retailers make off the sale of green shirts, hats, green beer, and four-leaf clovers? Black people, they spend more money on celebrating St. Patrick's Day than they do on Martin Luther King's holiday and we are doing exactly what the people who want to ban critical race theory want us to do. We need to take that money that we spend on St. Patrick's Day, and we need to put it in something that will contribute to the benefit and the welfare of black people.
1: I agree with you 100 percent, Keith. And one of the recurring themes of racists in America is the idea that the Irish came to America as slaves— and had it as bad as or worse than Africans. And historically, and I didn't learn this in school, I've, ha- although I've been to college and it was referenced in college in anthropology, there is such a thing as the black Irish because the Celtic Isles were populated by people from Africa. And so everybody, in Ireland was black at one point. And then the blonde gene came in from the north, from the Nordic tribes. The people were all tribal at that point. And so the Irish had some feeling of segregation and race identification when they came to the United States Then imagine their surprise when the society denigrates them and treats them as slaves. They started out as police because that was about the only job they could get. You've seen the ads. No Irish need apply for regular, even cleaning jobs. And uh, I don't know why that is, why we have to feel... Superior to another, so that we can feel like we're okay. Do, do you have any idea, Keith? Why do we have to feel we're better than somebody else so when, that we can feel like we're okay?
5: One of the things I've noticed that seems to be a common trait in all people is that when they have been victims of oppression, as soon as they gain their freedom and their independence, then they find a way to start oppressing other people. I mean, this is not just, I mean, you, you could look at the examples of the Irish. You can look at the examples of of, of the, uh, the the Israelis, what they're doing to the Palestinians. I mean, it's just something that people feel, that I, I guess they have this need to feel that after they have lived that type of existence, that they need to go out and do it to other people to, sh- to make themselves feel worthy of, of, of being considered as human beings. Now, there is another thing that we have to understand. There is a difference between slavery And indentured servitude and this is what the irish were when they came over here to this country indentured servitude is being required to work to pay off a debt once the debt is paid off you're allowed to go free but slavery is forever it does you know it's
1: a non-personhood it's a property it's a chattel concept that People who are slaves are not people. Objects are enslaved, uh, are owned. You're absolutely correct, Keith. Yeah,
5: and a lot, a lot of the, lot of the Irish. The reason why they were indentured uh, servants is because they were indebted to people who arranged for them to be brought over here to America. You, uh, and for a long time, they did have this system of indentured servitude, even in Ireland. You know, but those people were slaves. Not even, not even the black people. So, America seems to have this thing about itself that it it corrupts everything it touches. You know, when it comes to these these uh, ideas about who is superior and who is inferior, and people don't realize this, but it's not going to go away. It has, it's been here forever. It's not going to go away anytime soon. There's never going to be a time when you can say, okay, well, this fight is finished. It's going to be a lifelong struggle for all of us who continue to suffer under these type of situations. And we just have to keep our, our heads up. We have to keep fighting, and we can't let this overwhelm us because every time we think things have gotten better, they turn around and they get exceedingly worse. You know, we, there was a time when we thought all of this stuff that we are dealing with right now, we thought that was in the past. All it took was to put one person in office that wanted to resurrect these type of ideas, and we are right back. We seem to be right back where we started. Of course, we don't. Ha- we have more material possessions and things of this nature here, but as far as how the world looks at us and how we are treated, you know, we are still pretty much in the same situation that we were uh fifty or a hundred years ago.
1: I would agree very much, Keith, that <clears throat> the number of people who have material wealth are small. And the economists will tell you that is a group of people that is growing smaller. There are even fewer people today that have great wealth than there were than there was 50 years ago. And yet the numbers of people who are living paycheck to paycheck, if they have a paycheck, continues to grow and grow and grow, regardless of the race or ethnic uh, identification of those groups of people. So we have a tremendous country. We have a good idea for government, democracy, that you can vote, that you can make change. We have a beautiful, countryside we have resources and so we have great hope for our future however our past and our present is not free it's a piece of work to get yourself and those that you care about and are concerned with to get out there and be fed and be warm or cold, depending upon the temperature, and to be happy. So I notice, Keith, that it is incumbent upon each individual person to be happy. And the part that confuses me is I don't see how anyone can be made happy by feeling that they're superior to another human being?
5: Well, a lot of times this attitude of superiority is is, is fueled by rage. You know, uh, when you stop and really analyze the situation, you see that a lot of people, white people, uh, Mexican people, or or just people in general, the majority of us in many ways are not better, any better off than black people are. But white people are constantly told that you are superior to black people. But when they see uh, a black man is uh, a black person that's got a new house, a brand new house, or, or, or a brand new car, and they don't have those things, that enrages them because of these ideas about superiority that they have put in their heads. And this is how they're able to keep Fueling this racial animosity, they have to keep people fighting amongst themselves. The, the, the those people who are in power, so they can stay in power. As long as they can keep us at, each, I mean, Jesus said in the Bible, he said, "A house divided cannot stand." Okay, but we are in one house, and they're in another house. You know, and all they're basically concerned about is maintaining their riches and their wealth. You know, and 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 they see the whole country go down before they are willing to give either of those things up.
1: I'm glad that we're starting to tackle this discussion. One of the things I love about volunteering at KKFI is we get to say loud and clear into the microphone that we live in a racist society. There is no doubt. Right. And I was a civil rights investigator for 30 years, and that's it analyzing facts, and I was uh, trying to apply logic to a fact a uh, situation of a discrimination complaint. And then when the evidence supported the complaint, and I could see that this person was discriminated against because of race, sex, age, color, then my brain would think, well, why? 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 You know, and I would spend time trying to understand why another person would do that to someone. And finally, it came on me like a light. There is no logical reason for discrimination, for prejudice. There is no reason to think, well, why? What's the reason for that? You just have to accept that it is. And you have to learn to counter it. So I think, it's, I, I think it's understandable where people want to avoid people who have a negative attitude toward them. I, I, I think that's clear. And then otherwise, the best you can do is just be kind and neutral to them and just keep going in the direction you think is best. Um, it doesn't fix society, but it's just something we can do.
5: Well, we always have to remember that the main motivation for uh, the discrimination and other things that uh, affect our society is money and acquisition of material wealth. You know, uh, we never see all of this money that is generated from the uh, hostility and the racism that's, that's being promoted. So naturally, we don't understand what the driving force of all of this is. But the people who are scooping up the money and putting it in their pocket, they understand it and they know they have to keep doing this or their life is going to change.
1: I think it's good at this point to think about the cultures of the people and to give them cred. So when we talk about the Irish people, if I can make some gross generalized statements, their sense of humor is amazing, is a, is a good thing. And their sense of joy. And the heck, I do love jig dancing and mm-hmm. Irish music. And similarly, for the black American, the culture is so extremely different and beautiful. The acceptance of each other, the support, the love of dancing. Music is And the great creativity, the ability to invent forms of music. And uh, so I think that I just want to exhort everybody, rather than to feel superior to any other person, look at any other person if you're looking at types and think, well, what is the strength? What have we learned as a society from those groups of people? I think that's good.
5: Well... I just want to say briefly before we go that even though Irish and black people were adversaries at one time, that does not mean that we have to be enemies now. You know, we are all here in this one society trying to live together. But I brought up these subjects because if we are going to celebrate with the Irish, we should be celebrating something that we all have in common. You know, I don't think that black people should be out celebrating a time when black people were being oppressed by the Irish or anyone else. You know, we should we should have our own celebrations. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to go and disrupt their celebration. But we shouldn't be taking part in those things because we have a culture that we can identify with. And that's what we should try to do.
1: Well, I wanna thank you for being on Jaws of Justice today, Keith. As usual, you have said things that have really caused people to think. And I appreciate you no end, it's it's good. Thank you. We're gonna go out with one of the musicians that listeners can bid on at the KKFI Band Auction. Simply go to kkfi.org and you'll see a big screen that gives details of the band auction. We're going to play Best of Things by the Royal Chief who is Jamel Thomas.
0: Don't need everything, cause I got everything. There are no better things than not you. Don't need the lesser things, forget the mess of things. Let's make the best of things I got. All I ever wanted, all I ever needed. It sounds so cliche, I hope that you believe it. With you, there's something different. With you, there's no resistance got the world on my shoulders with you that weight is lifted and i'm feeling better than ever i'm better as me when with you then when we're not together they told me never say never i never thought i want to be with somebody forever no not in this generation we can say our relation too impatient we only commit to escaping with you i'm committed to waiting i know you're tired of being alone i know you're tired of being at home sipping wine swiping through every timeline that you got in your phone i'm honestly tired of Honestly tired, this you getting old Get what I want, then I gotta go But you what I need, and I gotta know I'm trying to feel Call that Netflix and chill Let's make life a movie I can give you that real I can give you that kill And you know you deserve it Gonna be perfect, but who really cares if it's worth it I realized I, realized. I don't need everything Cause I got everything There are no better things Than I choose don't need the lesser things forget the mess of things let's make the best of things I got you I don't need everything cause I got everything there are no better things than I choose don't need the lesser things forget the mess of things let's make the best of things I got you I got, I got, I got you I got, I got, I got you I got, you, I, got you, I 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 got you,
4: now you know I'm not the type to want to say how I feel, I'm hesitating contemplating, I can't tell if it's real, now I have my share of broken hearts, I grab myself to sleep at night, it's what I never love again, Better things than I you Don't need the lesser things, forget the mess of things. Let's make the best of things. I got you.
0: I don't need everything, cause I got everything. There are no better things than I do. Don't need the lesser things, forget the mess of things. Let's make the best of things. I got you. I got, I got, I got you. I got, I got, I got got you. I got you, you, I got you, I got you. I got you, I got you.
6: It's the 420 Drug War News. Uh, Yesterday's report contained a segment talking about a young Mr. Uh, Richard Ward who was murdered by police uh, just over one year ago. I was discussing this with uh, Major Neil Franklin, now the retired director of Leap. Someone called the cops. And Pueblo Deputy
0: Charles McWhorter talks to Richard in the back seat.
6: What's going on? Wow, calling the cops for me just
0: looking for my little brother, huh? You can tell he's uncomfortable. Why
7: are you touching my arm, bro? Let go. Why are you acting like this? I'm, uh, I'm a little nervous because I don't like cops. Why? Uh, they, I have uh, anxiety. They've done things for me.
0: What have they done to you? Uh, I mean, stop resisting when you're not resisting. McWhorter wants to know why he got in that other car. I just want to hear your side of the story, man.
7: Oh, you're talking, dude, I straight up thought that that was my freaking... My car. That's all it was. Are you under the
0: influence? Of anything? No. Okay. You have an ID with you? I'm not, I'm not do you have any weapons? Uh. This is where things escalate. Do you have any weapons? I don't
7: think so. I you don't think so? Don't
0: pull so. out Richard says he has anxiety. Ward's lawyer says he takes anxiety meds. What? What
6: just you just sticking mouth? <laughs> Hell, What's a pill? Let me go. Get out. Get up. Get up.
0: About twenty seconds after McWarder takes him to the ground. Stop.
6: Stop. Stop resisting, bro. Stop. Three shots.
0: Hey. What the struggle stops. The deputies back away. An unarmed Richard Ward never gets back up. The deputy who shot him explains what happened as kids with backpacks walk by in the background. You all right? Yeah, are you? I'm all right. I put it in my nose and then tried grabbing at stuff. No one leaning in to check on him for another
6: three minutes when firefighters get there. This audio clip does not contain the last commands that the police gave to their subject as he turned over from his chest onto his back. They told him to stop moving. Because the parties were unable to come to a resolution, the county knew a lawsuit was forthcoming. So just last week, they gave the officer who murdered this gentleman deputy charles mcwarther a purple heart for his injury suffered during this encounter neil are you able to hear that sir yeah dean wow yeah 20 seconds from he took a, he took a, an authorized prescription pill that he just happened to put on the car seat he took his own pill and they killed him for that because he wouldn't spit it out for them like a bad dog
5: so here we have another example. And I, I see this as another problem of the failed war on drugs,
6: these dr- prohibition policies. More thoughts in this regard from Major Neil Franklin on tomorrow's report. I am Dean at DrugTruth.net.
7: We hope you enjoyed today's show and that we leave you with something to think about, something to talk to your neighbors about, and a reason to get involved. As always, the opinions expressed are those of the hosts and the guests of Jaws of Justice Radio, not of KKFI, the Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, its staff or volunteers. You can find our calendar of events and a link to our show episodes on the Jaws of Justice Radio Facebook page. You can always listen to us live and find our podcast on the KKFI website, kkfi.org. If you have a show idea or want to help produce the show, you can send an email inquiry or comment to kkfi.org forward/contact This is Jeff reminding you our outro music is Higher Ground from the Playing for Change CD.